When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is Ann Janzer, author of Subscription Marketing, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Ann Janser, and we're going to talk about her new book, Subscription Marketing, Strategies for Nurturing Customers in a world of churn. Anne has generously offered a hard copy of her book and two audio versions to listeners of the Marketing Book Podcast. After the interview, I'll tell you just how easy it is to win. Anne Janser is an author, speaker, and marketing consultant who has, amongst other things, worked with more than 100 technology companies. Her clients include serial entrepreneurs, industry thought leaders, and technology pioneers. She speaks at conferences on topics including marketing, customer success, and subscription marketing. And congratulations on subscription marketing and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. I'm glad to be here. Now, you were also an English and American literature major at Stanford, I think. Is that correct? That's right. I, I, I've been stalking you. Um, <laughs> and you, as far as I can tell, you are the sixth author on the show with a degree from Stanford. So I'm just, is there something in the Stanford Alumni Magazine that is just urging every alumnus of Stanford to write a marketing book? That's it. You know, we, we, we turn to those class notes and think, oh, dang, this person wrote one. <laughs> you know, right. It's my turn. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a competitive lot. Um, That's right. Know. We are competitive. <laughs> but And you know, I've actually got some other authors lined up who also have Stanford degrees. So it's, it's just, That's funny. It's, I, it's just one of those, you know, things that I happen to notice. And I'm just thinking, boy, um, I can only imagine that the Indianapolis Colts quarterback, Andrew Luck, who's a Stanford <laughs> graduate, he, he's coming out clearly with a marketing book, and he was a mechanical engineering major, so I'll... <laughs> Just give it time. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So let me open with a quote that just uh, grabbed me by the throat and, and shook me around, which I like. I like. Here it goes. Working with high-tech companies as a marketing consultant, I've had the opportunity to watch firsthand the impact of subscriptions on the software industry. Business models have evolved, but marketing practices haven't changed much. Even as revenue streams shift to recurring revenues from existing customers, many marketing organizations focus primarily on generating leads and closing initial sales. So, Anne, can you tell us the story about how this book came to be and why you wrote it? Yeah, and you've actually put your finger right on it. You know, so I spent most of my career working for B2B tech companies. 
becomes the the voice behind the brand or the ghostwriter for a corporate executive. Uh, so lots of companies hire me, and they would hire me always, always to do lead generation, occasionally lead nurturing activities. So I started working with a company called Service Source, which offers uh, software and services for recurring revenue management. And as they talked about all the implications for sales and the implications for finance and for uh, revenues, I just kept thinking, oh, wait, what about marketing? You know, <laughs> what about, what, what's, what's marketing's role in this? And then I looked around and I said, hey, wait, all of these companies that I'm doing business with are essentially either entirely in a recurring revenue model. You know, they're, they're cloud-based software, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're making a transition to it. They're, they have some packaged software and some cloud-based software. So their revenues are moving off to another area. The customer relationship is changing, but the practices of marketing weren't, you know, aren't really budging. A lot of companies are just doing what they've always done, which is chasing the new leads. Mm-hmm. So I just, I feel like a really unlikely evangelist for this cause, but I just had to say something. And that was the genesis of the book to say, you know, look, and it's not just technology companies, actually. It really applies in lots of industries are being disrupted. A lot of the new startups that are coming out are, are using software or technology or they have a membership component. And they're approaching the customer relationship in a different way. And meanwhile, everybody is busy. Well, I'm just going to, you know, get some more leads and I'm going to push for that first sale. And then I'm going to hand off the responsibility for the customer relationship to the rest of the organization. And my fear is that marketers who aren't paying attention to that shift uh, risk becoming irrelevant. You know, as, as more of the business revenues shift to your current customer base mm-hmm. and marketing's only talking to these people who aren't customers yet, you know, there's a gap growing between marketing's impact on revenue. You know, that becomes smaller as the revenues are shifting after the sale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the subscription economy, or I think it could also be called the sharing economy. You, you talk about—is that—is that correct? Well, yeah, the words, words. I, it's funny because I talk about the subscription economy, the sharing economy being a part of it. Okay. Okay. Now there's another. You know, Robbie Baxter wrote a book called The Membership Economy, and she thinks the subscription economy is part of it. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways. And, to, and she uh, has a, a degree from Stanford. So <laughs> is there does. like a real throwdown when the two of you get together? Yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to watch that. No. <laughs> well, you, yeah. you talk about, and, and actually, uh, Robbie has been on the show, and it was another great book. We'll link up to her uh, interview. But you talk about, the reason I ask about that is in one part in the book, you said sharing economy businesses are based on the concept that people really want access to goods, not ownership in them. And I'm wondering if that helps to set some of the larger framework for people to understand what this subscription marketing is all about. Yes. Yeah. I think... (sighs) When you, when you make the transition between selling a thing, right, it, the, the transaction is a one-time sale, right? Marketing is going to operate in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And as more and more businesses are making a transition to a different kind of customer relationship, in the sharing economy, for example, you need to establish a relationship with the customer who will then access it when they need it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really cloud software. That extends to other other things beyond technology. One of my favorite examples of this is industrial chemicals. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> right, which you can buy as a service. Instead of buying the chemicals, 
you buy the chemical process that you need. You buy the thing you need the chemicals to do. And the chemical provider will then bring the chemicals, do them, and take away the, the waste. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a different way of thinking of your relationship with that vendor. And it changes the nature of that relationship. Yeah, let's stop for a second and just disabuse people of thinking that this only applies to cloud-based software. Because there's one part in your book where you said, if you think your industry cannot be disrupted by the subscription economy, you're probably not thinking hard enough. Really? I mean, is it where else does it apply besides cloud-based software and industrial chemicals, which you just mentioned? <laughs> well, you know, let's think about... What's it mean to be a hotel, provide hospitality, mm-hmm. hotels, right? You have a hotel and then you have Airbnb. Now, Airbnb isn't a subscription, but it is something to which you kind of establish an ongoing relationship. You become a member, you build up reputation, you build up referrals, right? Mm-hmm. So you could say, theoretically, that the hospitality industry is being disrupted, by subscriptions. Mm-hmm. You could say transportation. If you look at car sharing things, you know, you, you essentially subscribe to Lyft or Uber, you essentially subscribe to Zipcar, mm-hmm. right? So I think that you, the two reactions that I've gotten are that, you know, oh, I don't sell newspapers, you know, that people think this only applies to uh, consumer media, to newspapers, <laughs> right? Right, I forgot, yeah. I, I do get that. <laughs> and, and I don't sell cloud-based software, but even some of the cloud-based software people don't really think of themselves as subscriptions. They're they're still thinking solution sales and then that you know the old the old perpetual license model, even though that's not what they're selling. Yeah. Well, when I read your book, I immediately started thinking of all the things that I'm subscribed to, and it was like yes. the beginning of your book. You talk about your typical day, and it's just full of all kinds of products and services that you subscribe to. So I mean, there's like the air conditioning guys, the, the the lawn care, the all kinds of things, you know, Amazon Prime and Netflix and, uh, you know, so many things like that. So are subscriptions going to replace other business models? I think replace is the wrong word. I think they're displacing a certain amount of, of business models and businesses and, and market share. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly not everything's going to move to a subscription. But I think the trend is very strong, and it's driven by a lot of factors. It's driven, in sense, by the uh, the growing Internet of Things. You know, all of that has a data component. Everything that's tied to data, essentially, somehow is going to link into a subscription, right? Mm. Whether it's a subscription that you pay for with money, or a subscription that you pay for with data, mm. right? I mean, if you think about your your grocery store loyalty card, you're not paying for that subscription, and then. And you feel perhaps that they're paying you, but you are paying with your data. Mm-hmm. You're giving them your data. Mm-hmm. So, that, so the sort of big data Internet of Things world is driving us towards this model. Resource scarcity, you know, theoretically, and the, and the sharing economy. More and more people, you know, I don't know about you, but my kids, I've got kids in their early 20s, and they don't feel the need to own as many things as oh definitely as earlier yeah. generations right they uh-huh. just don't they they just want access to it when they need it when my daughter goes to a wedding she calls up rent the runway and gets a dress delivered to wear and then she returns it 
So yeah, it's but, a great model. But these are Ann Janser's children. I mean, come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think they're not that uh, not that atypical, actually. Oh, it's very true. I, my kids are 17 and 20, and I, I, I've noticed, you know, similar kinds of things. They just want access to these things and they're not dying to have cars. And, uh, I mean, they, they like being able to drive them. <laughs> Don't get me <it> wrong, <laughs> but, but they, you know, they just want access. They're happy to catch rides with other people. You know, they, they, uh, subscribe to music services. They don't have stacks of CDs at home that, you know, they watch Netflix and uh, other kinds of things like that. So yeah, I know just what you're talking about now. One of the big takeaways I had from the book is that in subscription marketing, the initial sale is just the beginning, whereas traditionally marketing might have thought, okay, my work's done. Now let me go you know, bait the hook and, and throw it back off the boat here. You talk about how the new funnel feeds itself. What do you mean by that? Well, I think you know, the idea of the funnel, and, and a lot of people are protesting the funnel as an analogy but you know the idea of marketing people love to do that (laughs) i know (laughs) they do (laughs) let's debate the funnel yes right yes (laughs) and then we'll gaze at our navels (laughs) Uh, i have to say that because i was at a speech where avanish uh, kaushik from from google made some uh comment about how he hated people who used the word funnel and so everybody immediately started apologizing for their presentations right, the right, yes the oh, oh we're a, a self-conscious lot i, I won't deny that <laughs> all right so but the idea is this that if you consider that you know if i sell you a product for two hundred dollars all my revenue comes at that point of sale you walk away, I can walk away. I have my $200 from you. Like right? let's say a, a box of software with a, a box of it. software, sure. Okay. Now, if instead you're going to subscribe to that at 5 or or $10 a month, right? Mhm. The, the 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 day you sign up, that's $10, you know, <laughs> theoretically, right? Yeah. Every month that follows that's $10. Mm-hmm. So so the revenue stream and the potential value, the happier you are, as a customer, the longer you're going to keep signing up. Mm-hmm. And every time you have a renewal point, you have to say, hmm, is the value to me of being your customer of this experience worth that 10 bucks this month mm-hmm. or, or 120 this year? I'm oversimplifying. Right. But so marketing has a role in maintaining that relationship and making sure that they keep adding to that perception or bucket of what the customer feels the value is so that they keep waiting it so that the value of renewing is, is an easy decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I guess an example would be for me a while back, I had a professional, I think, or premium subscription to LinkedIn and it's not all the money in the world, but I, I, I I just wasn't using it. I, I don't think I was using anything I couldn't get for free. And I, I just felt stupid for, for, for paying for it. So I got rid of it. Right. But then there's other software, like, for instance, a software company like HubSpot. I use their software for clients. And, you know, they are constantly looking to see if they can teach you something new. Are they, you know, are they using our product? Hey, you know, should we give this guy a call? I mean, they don't do that with me, but it's, I, I know that they're constantly. And then the other thing they're doing is, uh, like a lot of software, they're, they're constantly upgrading, basically pouring additional value into your existing subscription. Right. Right, so you constantly feel that you're getting value from that mm-hmm. subscription, mm-hmm. and that's that's you know brilliant 
that's value nurturing right there. That's that's what you do in a subscription economy. You continue to make your customers successful. Yeah. Now, value nurturing is something that has a big part of your book. And, and you say in the subscription economy, value nurturing lasts much longer than lead generation and nurturing. Can you explain what value nurturing is? I, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about that term in the future. So it's interesting because I usually uh, suggest to my clients that they not try to come up with a new term that somebody's not using, not try to evangelize some new word, and yet here I'm kind of doing it myself well, out of that's, necessity. That's allowed. I have a Is special dispensation from the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, leg- the podcast legislators. We're allowed Excellent. to do that. And as a marketing podcast, we are allowed to talk about Amazon, Google, Netflix, Facebook, and um, – <laughs> And uh, whatever else. So, I haven't mentioned And Zappos, Apple. 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 Yeah, we're required by law to mention all of them. Required. We're now off the hook for this show. Okay. Go ahead. Good to know. Uh, so I wanted to try to talk about the whole set of marketing activities after the sale. And one of the issues is that because it's not things that marketing is always doing today, there aren't a lot of existing terms and labels to put on it. Mm-hmm. So I looked for different, you know, there's churn prevention that has a lot of baggage. The, the terms that I could find all had a lot of baggage with them. Like churn prevention. That reminds me of like shrinkage, like <laughs> employee theft. Exactly. Right. It, it just doesn't sound good. Yeah. And it also sounds kind of like a painful medical issue, but go ahead. Right. <laughs> Retention marketing, similar, you know, it's like, okay. oh dear, you know, right. But people, yeah. you know, right. That's better. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was trying to do was think bigger beyond these small, the, the small boxes and just, I wanted to put something in a framework that would fit in. I mean, marketers talk about lead generation, marketers talk about lead nurturing. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, maybe value nurturing kind of fits in. It's like after the conversion, you need to continue to nurture the value that the customer's getting, mm-hmm. their experience of value. Well, so it's I, also it just, where the money is. It's where the money is. It's the customer lifetime value as well. That's that's really what you're nurturing to. Yeah, yeah. You were an English major. I was an English major. I had to laugh out loud when you wrote, the word nurturing sounds like something that only a liberal arts major would love. <laughs> <laughs> but you can justify it using the numbers. Yes. So how and, and what kind of metrics is it that you know the, the, the boss man or woman loves hearing about? Right. So I did try to include some metrics to give you a business case mm-hmm. uh, justification because nurturing doesn't sound very rigorous. And, well, that, and it just sounds it just sounds too nice. It sounds too nice, right? <laughs> but you know, I was reading some research recently and I'm trying to think of where I found it. I'll make a note of it and, and include it in the, the landing page I've set up for this podcast. I was reading some things about how more companies are starting to measure their marketing effectiveness on metrics that include revenue. That's, that's a big one. Uh, what a concept. What a concept. Customer retention and, and customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's an organization out there that doesn't feel that customer loyalty is important, isn't important. Everyone's looking at net promoter scores, things like that, because they understand the impact that has on revenue and business performance. Mm-hmm. And so so ultimately, what I've tried to do in the book is tie some of these strategies into how they are levers on these metrics that people do care about, mm-hmm. customer retention or churn, customer lifetime value, things like that. 
So it all comes down to revenue, like you said. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that the C-suite likes that. And I, just my personal opinion, I think there are a lot of marketers that are terrified of that. You know, like uh, old school traditional folks that aren't used, they're maybe used to being held accountable to certain activities, right. but not necessarily revenue. Right. So it's just one more thing to, you know, scare the uh, living daylights out of some of these marketers. But those that are getting it are really doing well and they're going to be, they're never going to be looking for work, I don't think. Yeah, but you know, it it is, you know, I'm glad you mentioned metrics because I was talking uh, the other day with someone from the LinkedIn Marketing Solutions team and he says, you know, every time I talk to people in SaaS organizations about value nurturing, it turns out, but yeah, but we're quoted on new sales or we're quoted on lead gen, you know, we're quoted on how many leads we're bringing in. So, you know, you're going to behave based on what you measure, you know, your metrics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there was an, uh, another author I interviewed a few shows ago named Mark Roberge, who is the head of, of revenue at HubSpot, not to keep talking about HubSpot, but mm-hmm. he, it was a very interesting book because he talked about, well, he was head of sales for many years, and I, I think that probably falls under him still, but he talked about how they were very oriented on initial sales, and it's like their churn was <laughs> blowing a hole through the wall, and then at that point, their company, like probably many others, are saying, we better get this churn under control because we're just hemorrhaging revenue because we can't keep these people. And they, they, he talks about how they changed the uh, incentive. And I mean, I'm getting this wrong a little bit, but they, they then incentivized the salespeople based on were the customers there one year later. Yeah. And they immediately started finding better fits for the sales and, you know, I think more and more companies will start to, I hope, they'll start to grasp that this idea of churn is really something to be paid more attention to. And, and it seems like the straw that's stirring the marketing drink because it's, it really is changing the focus of what marketing's having to do, <laughs> just to add one more headache to their, to their plate. Well, because every customer that leaves is one that you've got to replace with your you know, a new customer acquisition. And it's a new customer acquisition that just goes to keeping you level as opposed to growth, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if, you're, if you've got 10 new customers this quarter, great. But if, if three of your current ones left, then you really only have seven that represent growth, yeah, right? Uh, you yeah. know, so there's that. So and, I would just encourage the marketers to keep talking about numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's also the question of, and and here's the 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 thing that's very interesting is if you use if you really look at your loyal customers and and the ones that are most successful so if you spend some time really looking at what happens after the sale you can use that insight to reverse engineer the cus- the leads that you're trying to attract mm-hmm. right you, you start trying to attract those customers that are going to be most successful and that's what HubSpot and partly did they stopped and sending their salespeople to sell to anybody and started in sending them to really try to make sure that it was a good match mm-hmm. and that to try to reach out to the kinds of customers that had proven to be successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's very, it's kind of easy to explain, but I think it's like telling a right-handed batter to start batting left. Exactly. It's hard <laughs> to do. It's hard to do. And it's, it's, it's frightening because there's a great sense of security in spray and pray, you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, but I got this many hits and I got this many people downloading my white paper. And it doesn't matter if only a tiny percentage of them are really relevant to your business. It's, it, it feels good. And it feels like you're doing something that's important. Mm-hmm. So, Anne, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would hope it would be this, to find ways just to cast your marketing eyes. If you're in marketing, find ways to look at what happens to the customer relationship after the sale and to remain involved in that. And in most cases, here's the other part, hard part. In most cases, to do that, you're going to have to work outside of the marketing organization. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to reach across boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And and I would. it's almost like you want to say to, to people in marketing, don't wait to be told to do that. Right, right. <laughs> Just it, beg forgiveness later, but they're going to thank you. Exactly, exactly. It's much easier to just to start doing it, to, you know, invite your friends and customer success out to lunch and, and start putting your heads together on what can you do. Yeah. There, you there was one part of the book where you talk about, you know, value nurturing has to go way beyond just the marketing department anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's really, it's the whole, you know, that the way I think of it is that, that marketing makes the brand promise <laughs> And now the whole organization has to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. So clearly everybody's got to be working together on that. Mm-hmm. But I would add that the, the, these very different, I think you even described them as seismic changes that are going on in marketing as represented by subscription marketing and other things are also why the next crop of CEOs are going to be coming from the marketing department. It's, it's already starting to happen. Because they have to know so much more about the customer and what the customer does, and they're armed with all this data that they never really had before. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's true. I I think we're going to see, you know, I think organizational boundaries are, you know, one of the largest inhibitors to customer success in large organizations, as you know, you know. Uh, So a lot of the ones, the companies that are really kind of getting this and do it well, doing it well are the smaller startups. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they have fewer of those boundaries getting in the way. Yeah. Well, if there's any other chaotic things happening in marketing that I can think of, I'll certainly add them to the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you a couple questions that the listeners really enjoy. Is there a recent marketing book that you recommend? Not, uh, besides subscription marketing, obviously. Of, of course. <laughs> so I'll tell you the one that I'm reading now. I, I you know, you're. Your podcast is a great source of, of books to read, and I have, my list grows daily. Uh, excuse me. Before we started recording, you were actually cursing me for that. Yeah, <laughs> it was. That means it it's working. It's working. It's working. Your evil plot. Uh, but so one I'm reading now, which I'm really enjoying, is by one of the great marketing writers we have, but it's not marketing per se. It's uh, Seth Godin's latest book, What to Do When It's Your Turn, and It's Always Your Turn. Mm-hmm. That's just a lot of fun. Uh, it, it is. It was very different from what he's done before, but it's like he really got into my consciousness. Yes, yes. I'm. I'm I don't want to say I'm, I'm savoring it more than I'm reading it. I'm reading a few pages and putting it aside because it's uh, something worth savoring. So yeah, and, it, and it's it's also a little bit of an experience. I mean, it, it's a different looking book. It's very interesting layout, and. When I read that book, it was just when I was thinking about starting this podcast, and and boy, was that book talking to me, because oh. it's about, go make a ruckus. Don't wait for somebody to tell you, you know, you have permission to go do this. Just, you know, it was, it was <laughs> uh, 
as I think I mentioned once a long time ago on another episode, it would it it reminded me of when I was in the army and I was at the airborne school learning how to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. <laughs> and I can remember there was always a jump master, a sergeant standing in the door who was basically screaming, go, 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 because they got to get everybody out of the plane in a short amount of time. And, you know, the first time you jump, it's, you know, maybe a little scary, but but I landed and everything turned out fine. And it was sort of like, (laughs) I know this will blow Seth Godin's mind if you knew this, but it was sort of like, it reminded me that of, yeah, it's scary, but you know what? Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a a great book. That's a great book. Are there any books you're looking forward to? reading or having them come out? Well, another one that I'm is next up on my list. You know, I tend to read books either because the topic is fascinating to me or because the author is someone that I want to read. You know, I've, I've met, I've listened to, I've read before, and I want to read. And they so have the, Stanford degrees, right? It, <laughs> it's not actually a prerequisite. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> my bad. Uh, so the next one I want to read is The Content Code by Mark Schaefer. I heard him speak on the topic at the B2B Marketing Forum, and I met him in person, and and I just so liked what he had to say. So I'm really looking forward to reading that. That's a great one, and uh, I've had the honor of having him on the show to talk about that book, and uh, you haven't you haven't read it yet, right? Nope. Okay. Don't spoil it for no. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm going to give you. A, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm going to give you a tease. Okay. That is the most badass book I've ever read. I was afraid of that. Yep, yep, there you go. And I'm not going to explain it anymore. You need to read the first 40 pages to understand why that book is so badass. Oh, I think he gave a badass presentation. In fact, I think I may know why. (laughs) Okay, well, let's not spoil it for the listener because that is definitely one of the best of the year that I've read. So how can listeners best find out more about you and your book and and all that you're doing and, and where you're speaking? Sure. The best place is my author site, which is just my name, com. That's A-N-N-E-J-A-N-Z-E-R.com. And I've set up a page on that site for listeners of this podcast, uh, where I put a few things and links. Well, so that you. would be com forward slash, let's see, MB podcast. That's for marketing book podcast. Okay, great. Well, we will make sure... In case anybody didn't catch that, they can go to marketingbookpodcast.com. We're going to put a link to that. And there's also a video I saw where you were talking about subscription marketing I'd really like to include in the show notes as well. Okay, sure. It's the one that I linked to from the book website. Okay, that's pretty new. Okay, great. Well, let me just read one final quote before we say goodbye. All the strategies in this book are based on a central truth. Subscription-based businesses have to maintain ongoing relationships with their customers far beyond the initial sign-up. Customer marketing isn't a nice-to-have function anymore. It's essential. The name of the book is Subscription Marketing, Strategies for Nurturing Customers in a World of Churn. The author is Ann Janser. And thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me, Douglas. And that closes the book on the 51st episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. To win a copy of the book, go to marketingbookpodcast.com, click on the Contact Podcast button, and tell me which iTunes review is yours and include your mailing address. 
first one to do so wins. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of your learning. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for show notes, free resources, and guides. And while there, be sure to join the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And please join us next time as we celebrate Elvis Presley's birthday and talk to Mac Collier, author of Think Like a Rockstar, how to create social media and marketing strategies that turn customers into fans. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast and Happy New Year. That's right. That's what, yeah, after you read the blog there. That's yes, right. I read, I saw that and I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to get her on the show. And I sent you an email and you blew me off, but that's okay, Ann. Because, uh, <laughs> it was my spam filter blew you off. <laughs> I deal with rejection every day. It's okay. No. I felt so terrible. It's like, no, why would you, Google, why would you take this one out? I don't understand. <laughs> well, come on. You, you didn't I, mention Viagra in the title or anything. I no. don't know. And normally I do. So, uh, <laughs>